0: You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning, Sun Life Church. Thanks, uh, thanks, Alan. And uh, as Alan intimated, uh, I'm here for my six-monthly stint. Um, but it's a real pleasure to be with you this morning. And what a great morning it is! You know, baptism Sunday. We've heard some amazing testimonies already this morning, but I'd like to share one of my own because you know about a week ago there was a real danger that today's sermon just wouldn't happen. What happened essentially was, you know, I was putting the kids in the car last week after church, as you do. And, you know, I was really struggling to put Ethan in the car. I still got the five-point harness on. And I was struggling to put him in because I was holding my laptop in my hands, and I thought, well. I need to put this down in order to strap him in. Let me find a nice flat surface to put it down on. And the roof looked pretty good, right? So I put it on the roof, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's what I would have done too. No, you're probably thinking that's a bad idea. And I remember saying to myself at the time, hang, this is a terrible idea. You shouldn't be putting things on the roof. You know what happens. Uh, you better not forget it. And, uh, you know, as we would have it, I actually did forget about it. Uh, until we were about halfway down the freeway, when someone pulled up next to us and they were gesticulating, they were shouting at us, they were honking the horn, and we were thinking, I turned to Priscilla and we said, you know, what, what's going on with these people? These people, are, these people are crazy. And then I had that light bulb moment, where I was like, ah, that's what's happened here, this is a bad situation. <laughs> we, pulled over, we pulled over into, the, into the, um, the sort of emergency lane, had a look at the top of the car, there was nothing there, and I was like, oh my goodness, it's somewhere on the freeway, it's fallen down, and someone's probably run over it. You know, and there was a lot of prayer at that particular moment, you know, a lot of conflict, and we drove back to the entrance of the freeway where we'd gotten on, and we saw this thing in the, in the emergency lane at the freeway entrance. And I thought, hey, that looks smart on my laptop. And so we stopped the car, I went out, and sure enough, that's where it was. You know, amazingly, it hadn't been run over. And so I picked it up and I said, oh, no, it's, it's scratched, it's a bit damaged, but let's open up and see what goes on inside. And amazingly, the keyboard was intact, the screen was intact, and here it is today. So what an amazing sort of testimony um, to God's faithfulness. You know, God is good indeed, and that's the first lesson this morning, Church. Don't leave stuff on the top of the car; it doesn't end well. Uh, so that's a free one for you this morning. But uh, but you know, let's dive into today's word, and I'm really excited because today's passage is a really important piece of scripture. In fact, Charles Spurgeon would say that if he could open up any passage of scripture, if he was talking to a man dying on his deathbed who had never heard the gospel before, this is the chapter from the Bible that he would choose to preach to that person, that he'd choose to share with that person. And so let's dive right in. It's really the fundamentals of Christianity of what it means to follow Jesus, and it's found In John chapter 3. So you guys ready? Let's turn together to John chapter 3 in your Bible and I'll start by putting this passage into context. You know, it's about Jesus and he's just started his ministry on earth. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing the sick, he's raising people to life, he's claiming to be the son of God and the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, they, you know, they're freaking out. They don't understand Jesus, they don't like Jesus because they can't control Jesus, he's not one of them. And they see him as a threat to their spiritual authority. One of their leaders, though, is this chap named Nicodemus. He's a bit different. He sees what Jesus is doing, but instead of dismissing him outright like the others have, he's curious. He wants to find out more. And so they meet in secret under the cover of night. And that's where we pick the story up in John chapter three. Verse 1. So I'll read it out to you. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Now, to understand this encounter in more detail, we need to understand Nicodemus' background and where he's coming from. You know, firstly, the passage tells us that Nicodemus is a Jew. You know, the Jews were the descendants of the Israelites, the people whom Moses led out of the desert, oh, out of Egypt, sorry, and into the desert, and the people whom God said would be his chosen people. And so the Jews really believed that if you were born into the Jewish nation, you were immediately born into God's favor and into God's kingdom. Now, not only was Nicodemus a Jew, but as mentioned earlier, he was also a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a sect of the Jews known for being experts in the law. They studied the Mosaic law, and they knew the law better than anyone else. And their entire lives were devoted to never breaking that law. And in fact, so obsessed were they of the law that they made up more laws around those laws so that they'd be never in danger of breaking God's law. you know. If you imagine the edges there, they would build an extra barrier back here so that we'd never be anywhere close to breaking God's law. And those were the Pharisees. But even among the Pharisees, Nicodemus, the passage tells us, was a leader. He was a member of the Jewish High Council. And so not only was he a Jew, a Pharisee, he was a leader of the Jewish High Council, he was a man of spiritual authority. The very definition of a religious man. And the Jews at that time, the Pharisees, believed, you know, so strongly in the law. Their core belief was that if you followed the law, then you could be right with God. You know, if only you could do if only you could adhere to the law in everything that you did and you lived a perfect life, then God would be pleased with you. But of course, you know, he says to Jesus in the beginning of this encounter, you know, Rabbi, we know you're from God because of the works that you do. Not so much a question, but a statement. And when we look at Jesus' response on first glance, it doesn't seem to make sense. Jesus responds by saying, you need to be born again. And you might wonder exactly what is happening there. What does that mean? But when you understand the context of Nicodemus, then you understand that Jesus is actually speaking straight into Nicodemus' core issue. This idea that he thought he could save himself by what he was doing. Jesus says, nope, you need to be born again. But of course Nicodemus doesn't first understand what Jesus is saying. He thinks that Jesus is talking about the natural. He says, how can I be born again? I've been born once, I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. But of course Jesus isn't talking about the physical. He's talking about the spiritual, a spiritual birth. And that act of being born again by the Spirit is in fact the topic of our study this morning. The theological word for being born again is the term regeneration. And so the title of today's message is The Holy Spirit, My Regenerator. Let's pray and then we'll dive a bit deeper. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray this morning that you would open your word to us, Lord, that you would make our hearts and our spirits receptive to you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would show us something new this morning, that we would leave here changed and not the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I've put a definition of regeneration up on the screen, which is that it's a secret act of God in which He imparts new spiritual life to us. And the synonym to that is to be born again. And there's there's the three things this morning that I want to explore when it comes to regeneration. Firstly, the need for regeneration. That is, who needs to be regenerated and why? Secondly, the regenerator. So who or how does this regeneration occur and who does it? And thirdly, the results of regeneration. So, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to be born again? And so, firstly, if we look at the first point, you know, the need for regeneration, who needs to be born again and why? You know, many of us who've been in church for a while have likely heard the term born again Christian. And in fact, when I say that phrase, you probably have an idea in your mind as to what that person looks like, depending on your experience of church. You know, for some of you, it'll be a highly emotional person. Uh, You know, highly emotive in the way that they express their faith. For some of you, it's a phrase used to describe a Christian that's attained a certain level of spirituality, you know, the regular Christians and the born again Christians. But in reality, all of these ideas are false. You know, what Jesus says is that all people need to be born again, we all need this regeneration. In verse 3 of today's chapter, Jesus says, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And he doubles down on that in verse 5 when he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born both of water and the Spirit. Now when you look at that passage in verse 5, you might think to yourself, "What what is this water that Jesus refers to? And there's a little bit of debate as to what it means. Some believe that it means to be baptized. But I think if we look at the context of the passage, we see that when Jesus talks about being born of water and the Spirit, he's talking about the physical birth versus the spiritual birth, water referring to the amniotic fluid or the fluid present in the birth sac, And we see that this makes sense because in the very next verse, he says the words, flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit, the contrast between our earthly birth and our birth by the Spirit. But getting back to the point here, what Jesus is explaining is that nobody, not a single person, can even see God's kingdom until they're born again. We can't see God moving, we can't see His authority, His work, we can't see anything that He's doing until we are born again. We're completely oblivious to it. And why is that? Because until this spiritual birth or regeneration occurs, we are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead and completely ignorant of the things of the Spirit. You know, We can't engage with God, we can't see Him working. We see this further explained in Paul's writing. In Ephesians he says, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sin. You know, we are all sinners. I'm sure that's not news to any of us here. But the Bible tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us can meet God's standard. No matter how hard we try, we're never going to get there. And as a result of that, God says the wages of sin is death. You know, we start off in this state of spiritual death. And until we're made alive, we can't engage with the things of God. If we look at this even further in Corinthians, Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So until God causes us to be alive in the Spirit, we, can't, we don't understand it, we think that it, does, it doesn't make sense, we can't engage. We need to be made alive. And I think this is particularly important for us when we think about us sharing the Gospel with those around us. You know, not everyone is going to be receptive to God's word. But our response to that shouldn't be to be angry, you know, because a person will never understand the things of the Spirit without God first causing the spiritual birth to occur. I remember in university, I was in a very small church, you know, a church of only about 10 to 15 people. Um, And so if you were in that church, you did everything. You know, you were the usher, you played in the music team, and you also changed the slides, you know, the days of the slide projector with the plastic uh, sort of sheets. And so you did everything. And that's when I first started playing the drums, just to help out. And in that setting, I had a very good friend who, though he was an atheist, he would come to church, and he'd come quite regularly because he was part of our circle of friends at university. And so he'd come along because we'd, we'd jam and we'd play, uh, we'd play music. You know, he'd come, uh, he'd come to band practice, he'd come on Sundays. We even took him to a few Christian conferences. But despite all this, despite having heard about God, despite, you know, having heard his word preached, despite listening to, to, to Christian music, spending time with people that were Christians, every time I talked to him about accepting Christ, he would politely decline. And, you know, I'm not annoyed at him, I'm not angry, but I suppose it's just a little bit sad because he's yet, had his eye, yet to have his eyes opened to the Spirit. You know, he's closed off to the things of the Spirit because he hasn't received the spiritual birth. But as believers, you know, our response shouldn't be to throw up our hands and say, okay, that's it, you know, this is pointless, we're just going to give up here. But rather, it shows us the importance of persistence in prayer, in asking for these people to be born again, in you know, asking for God to do His work in their lives so they can comprehend the things of the Spirit and come to put their faith in Jesus. And it also shows that just by being in church or doing Christian activities, that is no guarantee of regeneration. You know, Nicodemus was a man who spent lots of time in church. He spent lots of time around the Word. He spent lots of time talking about God. And yet the first thing that Jesus said to him was, you need to be regenerated because you haven't got it, you haven't seen it, you missed the point. And so at the end of this first point, you know, I've looked at who needs regeneration, all of us, and why? Because without it, we are spiritually dead and we cannot understand the things of God. If I move on to the second point then, you know, now we've established the who and the why of regeneration, let's look at the how. How does this new birth come about? If we get back to the text in verse 5, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom unless he is born of water and the Spirit. You know, The Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. You know, The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What we see here is that the new birth comes by the Spirit and only by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our regenerator. And it's the Holy Spirit alone that causes this new birth to take place. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to control it or to cause it to happen just as much as we can't control the wind. You know, God puts it like this in Ezekiel. He says, I, being God, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You know, and that again speaks to the fact that before God does this work, we're dead. You, know, you don't need to take my word for it, but a heart of stone can't pump blood around your body. You know, A heart of stone means to be dead, whereas a heart of flesh is alive. And again we see that it's before God gives us this spiritual heart transplant, we're dead. And we need to revisit at this point the problem of sin. Because if sin hadn't been taken care of, this regeneration could never occur in the first place. I mentioned earlier that the reason our spirit starts off in this place of death is because of sin, death in our transgressions and sins. And what makes regeneration possible is the fact that Jesus Christ went up on the cross and he bore our punishment for sin that was meant for you and I. Without that, our sins couldn't have been taken away and we'd remain forever dead because of them. And so what we see here is that it's God the Son who makes regeneration possible by his work on the cross, and it's God, the Holy Spirit, that causes us to be born again. It all starts with God. It doesn't start with our effort. It doesn't start with anything that we do, but it starts with God. And you might be thinking to yourself, what about my role in all of this? Isn't there some part of this where I need to put my faith in Jesus and repent? I must have heard that before somewhere in church. And the answer to that is yes, there is. You see, there are two parts to this, but they're so closely related that they're almost like two sides of the same coin. There's God's part, which is, co- which is to cause our spirit to be alive and regeneration, and our part, which is to accept Him and to believe and repent. And those two parts are so closely intertwined, they often occur at the same time. But if we think about it, you know, if we can't even engage with the spiritual before He gives us life, then that must be the thing that comes first. And then we respond to that by putting our faith in Him, and ultimately that works itself out as our public declaration of faith that we're going to see through baptism today. You know, it's a process. And we see this progression illustrated really well in the story of Lydia. You might remember a few weeks ago we talked about Lydia. She was a gentile woman, a very successful businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. And through Paul sharing God's word with her, she became a follower of Jesus, and in her home the church of Philippi began. Of her conversion, the Bible tells us that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So you can see there's the opening of the heart and the response to the gospel call, and they occur almost at the same time. And so the new birth is viewed by Scripture as something God does within us in order to enable us to believe. And it's so important that it starts with God. The fact that it starts with God is what separates Christianity from basically every other religion. And you might think to yourself, "Why why does God ordained for it to be this way? Why does it start with God? Why is it important that it starts with God? And I'll give you an illustration to show you why that's important, and we'll look to the life of a certain man who lived a few hundred years ago. You know, this particular man was on his way to becoming a lawyer in life, when one day he found himself caught in a terrible and extremely violent thunderstorm. You know, he was out there in the middle of this storm and he did that thing that you sometimes see in the movies where he said, God, if you save me from this thunderstorm, I'll become a monk. You know, I'll stop being a lawyer and I'll instead become a monk. And sure enough, the storm subsided and that's what he did. And he came to the monastery and he lived a life as a monk where he was extremely zealous for God. But all his life he'd been told this religion that Nicodemus held, the religion of the Pharisees, that he had to do the right thing in order to please God. And so he tried to live as best as he could as a monk. You know, he did all the right things. He prayed, he spent time in God's Word. He even beat himself in order to discipline his, his physical body, because that's how much he wanted to do the right thing. That's how much he believed that if he did the right thing, then God would be pleased with him. You know, He says this about this ta- that time in his life. He says, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that He was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, in fact, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, and secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God." You see, you could spend your whole life trying to meet God's standard of holiness, but we would never reach it because we're human at the end of the day we're not perfect and because of that we end up hating god because all we always we see of him is this being waiting to strike us down when we don't follow the rules perfectly you know this idea of rule following is never going to get us to a relationship with god but thankfully this man's story doesn't end here you know as he meditates on the writing of paul in the book of romans he comes to this understanding that he had it wrong all along you know, he comes to the part which talks about us being made righteous by faith and that being a gift of God. And it changes his worldview entirely. You know, What God is saying is that Jesus has done the work to pay for our sins and he gives it to us as a gift. We need only accept it. You know, the purpose of the law was only to show us that we couldn't make it, that we needed someone to save us. But it's God who's done that saving work. It's not something we could ever do and that transforms his entire worldview. You know, where there was hatred for God before, there's love and there's joy, there's gratefulness, because he sees that God has done it all and all he needs to do is accept it. And many of you might recognize that that person that I'm talking about is Martin Luther, one of the founders of our faith, who started the Protestant Reformation. You see, a faith that is focused on work focuses us inwards. You know, it's all about my performance. How good have I been? How good have I, or how well have I followed the rules? You know, because you know, if I followed the rules enough, then I deserve my reward. The focus is on me. There's no love for God in that situation. He's just the adjudicator, he's the judge. And if I stuff up, you know, he'll strike me down. But if I follow the rules, he'll reward me because I've followed the rules. But there's no love there. Instead, though, God doesn't want us to look inward, but he wants us to look upward, upward to him. To look upward because we know that if our spiritual birth, if our salvation and our regeneration is all His work, then our response is completely different. You know, our response is one of gratitude. It's one of love. It's one of thankfulness. You know, and there's joy because God has made that relationship possible and it's not based on how good we are. Let's not forget that, church. Let's not forget that in every moment you know, that we're here on earth, we don't do the right thing because we have to. You know, We don't read the Bible or pray to God because we have to. We don't love others because God commands it. That's not the motivation. We're not trying to please Him. The motivation is the fact that God first loved us. He saved us first. He's made our spirit alive. And our response to that, naturally, is gratitude and love. And so how does regeneration occur and who causes it? It starts and it's caused all by God. We only need to accept it. So We've looked, firstly, at you know, who needs to be regenerated, why. We've looked at the how. And now we're going to finish by looking at the results of regeneration. What does it mean? How do I know if I've been born again? You know, From the passages so far, we see that the results of regeneration are that it allows us to see and to enter the kingdom of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to start seeing spirits like in the sixth sense, you know, but rather... It allows us to recognize where God is moving in the world. It allows us to see where He's prompting us. It allows us to see you know, what He is doing. Practically speaking, things that others might put down to happenstance or coincidence, we might recognize as God's doing, such as a laptop being on top of a car, going onto the freeway, getting onto the road, and still being intact. You know, I very much believe that that's God and not coincidence and to enter the kingdom of God speaks of heaven you know our ultimate destination so regeneration allows us to both see his kingdom and to enter it but there are other results too and I've summarized them all in a table um, and we'll run through it just very quickly because there are a lot and if you ask yourself have I been regenerate have I been born again then we can see that by asking ourselves the question you know do we see these effects in our lives a person that's born again will not continue to live a life of habitual sin. You know, not necessarily that we'll be perfect. We're human after all. But we won't make a lifestyle out of sin. A person that's born again will do what is right. You know, and they will choose and they will aim to do what is right. A person born again will love others. You know, Love for our neighbours and to love others is a result of our regeneration. A person who is born again will overcome the world, which means to be free of the world's influence, of continually chasing things that the world ta- tells us to do, like chasing after money or wealth or power, to be free of those things. And be a result as well of being born again in the Spirit is to receive the fruits of the Spirit. You know, that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So if I'm born again, I should see evidence of at least some of these things in my life. You know, we're not fully done as yet, but it's a journey. But we should see at least some of these things occur in our life, because a person who is truly born again doesn't stay the same. It wouldn't make sense that they would. If we've gone from a state where we can never see the things of the Spirit, we're completely oblivious to them, to the point where we can see all of them and we can experience them in a relationship with God, it wouldn't make sense for us to stay exactly the same. It wouldn't make sense for our lives to be unchanged. I want to take that one step further this morning. You know, do you ever wonder, as I wondered during the week, why Jesus uses the analogy of birth in this passage? You know, he likens this spiritual birth to being born, rather than, for example, your eyes being opened or the blind receiving sight. And I think the reason for that is this: it's because that with new birth comes new identity. Comes a new identity. If you think about this, when a baby is born into a family, they're not just born on an island they learn the culture of that family. Am I right? Think of your own family, it's not the same as your neighbors, it's not the same as your friends. You've got a set of beliefs, you've got a way of doing things that differs from others. And we see that all the time in both positive and negative ways. You know, I'm sure we've all got that family that we really admire, where you know, it's such a loving family, the children grow you know, up in this environment where they love others, and they're really well-adjusted. And likewise, on the other side, unfortunately, we see too many examples where. You know, children grow up in households where there's either, you know, abuse or violence, and they grow up with anger and a lot of those similar things. When God gives our spirit a new birth, we are born into His family. You know, I'll say that again. When God gives us new birth, we are born into His family. You know, and it doesn't matter what you've done before, whether you come from a rich family, a poor family, a broken family, a whole family whether you've lived a good life or a life that's not so good, whether you made a few mistakes or you've made many, none of those things matter. Because when we're born again, we're born into God's family. In John, he'd put it like this, we are children born not of natural descent, but born of God. You know, God calls us his children and he is our father. If you're born again and you're struggling to know who you are, know that you are a child of God. If you think you're alone, you're not. You're part of God's family. If you're struggling to find value in yourself or when those around you don't value you, God gives you value because you're his child. And If you're struggling with sin, struggling to do what is right, know that you're a member of God's family and that the rest of here in the church are here to help you. And finally, that if you're unloved, that God loves you. So let me conclude today by summing up this whole idea that we've been talking about this morning. And that's this. The spirit of every person in this world begins in a state of death due to sin. Because of that, we can't see the things of God. Jesus died on the cross for you and for I to save us from that sin. Regeneration is the act of the Holy Spirit giving new life to our spirit that was dead. There's nothing we can do to earn that There's nothing we can do to cause that. And the result of that regeneration is a changed life. A changed life as a member of God's family. As a child of God. That's the essence of Christianity. It's what it means to be part of God's family. It's such a great truth. And it's available to everyone. You know, not just the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated. It's available to everyone. God. Died so that all of us can have eternal life in Him. You know, he did that work for all of us, for you and for I. Who needs to be born again? We all do. And so, church, this morning, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Perhaps some of you have never heard this message before, perhaps some of you have heard it a hundred times, but no matter which side you're in, you feel that there's something different, you feel that there's a change in your spirit you know that's God's prompting and I don't want you to let that moment pass you by so if that's you this morning you know what I would invite is for everyone to just bow their head and close their eyes and this morning if that's you if you feel that there's something you've been missing out on in life there's a world out there in the spirit that you've just never engaged in you've never seen before but you want to know more You want to engage in God, that you want to accept his life, his grace, his love. Then this morning, if that's you, I would invite you just to stand with me this morning, that I might be able to pray for you. You know, it's God who starts that work in us. It's not about effort. It's not about how good we are. It's about how good God is. It's about how good Jesus is in doing this work in our lives. If you need that change, I'd invite you to stand this morning.